This week, Apple's giving up billions, Microsoft is giving up commissions, and Roku is giving up YouTube, YouTube TV. It's Sunday, May 2nd, 2021, and this is episode 593 of F5 Live Refreshing Technology, a proud part of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Wherever you are and however you're accessing our show, whether it be on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat, through a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, TuneIn, or a myriad of other options, through our live streaming platforms, Livestream.com, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, or on our website, PluckIt'sLive.com, thank you for making us a part of your day. There are two ways that you can do that. The first is Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. You can go to f5live.tv slash join us, and there you can chat with us in the studio, give us your feedback on the topics as we talk about them. If you can't join us live, that's okay. You can always go to plughitslive.com slash subscribe, and there you'll see all of our shows, including F5 Live, The Pilch Point, Plug Hits Live Presents, First Looks, and a whole lot more. And of course, find all the ways to watch, listen, or follow along. All right, Avram, it is good to be back. I always hate uh, weeks off, um, although I guess we yep. do have one more coming up since we have Mother's Day next week. <laughs> um, yep. But yep. But it's good to be and, back. Yep. I am going to have a really, hopefully have a really good segment for next time. Okay. Uh, because it is uh, this past month marks the 25th anniversary of tom's hardware where i worked my day job and rather than just uh do something about tom's hardware and how we've been around for 25 years like yeah people don't care about that kind of self-referential stuff right uh so it's a good opportunity i'm working on a story about uh tech the best tech 25 years ago versus today okay uh and i mentioned that because if anyone in our um in our audience has any ideas of different. So I want to be comparing, uh, you know, best CPU 2019 spring, 1996 to best CPU now, sure. Uh, best, uh, monitor then now best, um, phone then Motorola StarTAC. Absolutely. Uh, now, well, you know, you take your pick, maybe galaxy S 21 ultra, but, um, you know, as far as newest, as far as newest, anyway. Sure. So, <laughs> so it, you know, I'm I'm looking for those different sort of categories of, you know, what what was state of the art in like April, May '96 uh, versus state of the art today. Okay, I was I was trying to come up with. I knew '96 was about the transition point on the micro attack to the star attack. So I wanted to look yeah. up and 96 was the transition point. Cause yes. so I got a micro attack in here somewhere. Wow. So basically <laughs> we just have to, Scott can actually bring on everything that, that we're comparing to cause he's kept it in his garage. A surprising number of them probably. 
you know, I signed up a new writer this week. We'll, we'll you know, hoping for, hoping to have some great stuff coming in from her. Um, and her thing is that she collects retro consoles oh. like you do. Yeah. So, um, so it. we're going to have some more retro, you know, lots Excellent. of retro console content. I have on, on the site. I have an idea for a lot for a Twitch live stream show. Maybe it's time to talk between the two of us to do this. My idea is to go get, uh, go on uh, Wish and buy those nonsense multi-game streaming uh, con fake console things and see how many of them are actually playable and how many of them make us want to destroy the console. That's an interesting <laughs> concept. Uh, I, I'm not really up on that market. Uh, we are actually having this person do a story where they compare emulators to the original consoles mm -hmm. to the, I, I don't know what you call it, the the retro consoles that yeah, say yeah. Nintendo's come out with where it has the games built in or whatever. Yeah. Um, something else that I learned that's, this week. That's a that cool piece. Folks... I, look, I look forward to seeing that stuff. That sounds like a lot of fun to do. Something else I learned about retro gaming this week that you probably already knew, but... I didn't, and maybe not everyone in our audience knows. Uh, apparently, retro games often play a lot better on an old TV than they do on a new HDMI, a new uh, TV. Mm -hmm. The uh, so the refresh rate is better, and the graphics look better because that's, I guess, what it was meant to be played on. And there's less input lag. Mm -hmm. There's there's actually a device. Uh, we've got this Florida gamers group. There's a device that I was recently introduced to that is very hard to get your hands on and fairly expensive that actually tricks the TV into performing as if it's older uh, and makes retro consoles run on modern uh, TVs more appropriately, which I thought was fascinating. Hmm. What kind of trick is that? Like, what I is have... it? What is it? What is it? No, I haven't, I haven't done a ton of research into it. I just saw... A post from uh, the founder of the group, and I was like, "Well, that's interesting." And I put a link aside to go research later. <laughs> it okay, came, yeah, it came across please, Facebook uh, just a day or two ago, I think. So, <laughs> please, please drop that to me because we might we might want to test that too. I mean, that sure that would be cool. But yeah, I know it's a it's Frank. A, it's Frank a... had been waiting for almost six months to get his hands on one. <laughs> They're apparently. Yeah. Super limited supply. I have no idea. I'm gonna. I'll. I'll find the link and send it to you later, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, obviously. I guess the the lesson takeaway for for me and for our audience is, you know, retro is still really big, and is yeah. really big, and it's big even among people who, by all rights, like were really young when these games came out, or or maybe not even alive yet. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not it's not just uh old fogies like me that want to play uh the retro games because we were playing them when we were young it's right. like people are now of course retro for someone who's like 25 or 30 and retro for me are, are different things so yeah retro for me is like it's like pong mm -hmm. um you know retro for retro for them is like nes snes I keep hearing people talk about Goldeneye being retro, and I'm like, that is the N64. Right, exactly. That is Generation exactly. 4 of Nintendo. No. Exactly. <laughs> so that's retro to them. 
and and that is night that came out in i think 95 or something 96 um so it's uh you know i mean it is that is pretty ancient i mean 96 that's 25 years ago right. so for what it's worth apparently um, it was supposed to come guess, out on the 360 but that's a whole different topic i'm annoyed yeah. that it did not um <laughs> you know but uh you know that's uh that's been cool you know, my son and I have been working on robots as, as per usual. We pretty much finished or got, I wouldn't say pretty much finished. We, we got to the point where this is now drivable and has a working camera. Uh, this robot that we built from scratch with a Raspberry Pi. Because it's important um, to note that those types of projects are never finished. No, because the uh, the next thing is that we want to put other types of sensors exactly. on it and like a microphone and a speaker. Um and of course we have this idea, although this hasn't really been working out, maybe afterwards you have some ideas of why, uh, using this gas sensor to build a fart detector. You know, important scientific stuff like that. Oh no. Um, I got um, I got I got this and it basically even um, it hasn't really detected anything yet. Um, so it may be that I need a different a different uh, type of gas sensor, but Ahabs. You know, it's supposed to give you a different voltage reading if it if it encounters methane. Uh, but I, my daughter, you know, produced a wonderful sample for me uh, <laughs> in the diaper, and and I brought it and like it really stank. And I mean, like one of her worst ever. And um, my my wife said was telling my son to go throw it in the garbage. And I said, no, wait. I need this to I need this gar this dirty diaper, the soiled diaper for 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 science. And I brought it over and I stuck this right next to it. But no, that it didn't detect anything. So Oh my god. Oh the the journey that... comes on. I didn't save the diaper. <laughs> I'm sure another one will come soon. I was gonna say that's a that's a supply chain you don't have to worry about. <laughs> yeah, but it's not necessarily at the time that you need it sure sure not necessarily something you want to hold on to uh for that moment though <laughs> <laughs> yes that's, that's that's the beginning of uh uh being on television on hoarders or something that's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yeah think, that would be hard. I think that's one of the stages in uh, ending up on that tv show <laughs> <laughs> anyway um Yes, yeah. this show has gotten off to a weird start, and we're okay with that because it often does when we come back from a from a break. I will say that um, during our break, we rewired a good portion of the studio, and hopefully that will help with some of the weird things we've experienced over the last couple of weeks. So fingers crossed. Um, we will see. But uh, for now, let's get down to the news. This week's Nifty Gifties on F5 Live is proudly powered by the Microsoft Store. Whether you're looking for a new laptop, a tablet, desperately trying to find a new Xbox, uh, purchase games, or of course a whole lot more, you can get them all at the Microsoft Store, and it's not just Microsoft stuff. You can get phones and VR headsets and much more. And of course, remember that current students, faculty, parents, and active military can save up to 10% on almost everything, and you can find out about all of that 
uh, by going to f5live.tv slash Microsoft. Now, a topic that we've talked about a lot over the last year or so has been uh, Apple's ecosystem and the closed nature of it and you know, Apple's belief that that's an essential part of their world and um, the rest of the world's belief that it is oftentimes used as um, anti-competitive advantage. Uh, one of those companies, I think the two most uh, vocal companies on that side have certainly been Epic Games and Spotify. Uh, while Epic is has had its own interesting uh, news on their lawsuit against uh against Apple this week, the real interesting topic came uh, in the form of the Spotify complaint that was filed in 2019 in the European Union, where they said that Apple's 30% cut uh, for purchases uh, for direct competitors represented anti-competitive behavior because chances are that the licensing for music, give or take, is about the same uh, for Apple or Spotify, but because of the 30% cut that Spotify has to give to Apple, uh, that to have the same profit would require them to charge $13 a month compared to Apple's 10. Um, the European Union has been going over it over the last two years. Of course, it's a bigger story than that, as as things tend to be when it comes to, uh, to lawsuits. And in this case... Um, the, the commission took a look at more than just Spotify and ruled that, yes, the 30% cut, especially against direct competitors such as Spotify, did represent uh, anti-competitive behavior. And here's the real kicker. They are allowed to charge as high as a fee, as high as 10% of global takes which means, in this case, $27 billion with a B U.S. dollars. Now, the commission rarely, if ever, <laughs> uh, finds at the maximum. But, I mean, Avram, even at 10% of 10%, that's still almost $3 billion. It's a, a smaller amount to Apple than it would be to you know, a company who didn't have the highest profits of any quarter in their corporate history this last quarter, but still three billions a hit. Yeah, I mean, obviously three billion for most companies would be devastating. Right. For Apple, I don't know. What is Apple's market cap right now? Fifty, a hundred billion? I don't know. Yeah, but they can't Maybe. exactly trade that out. They do have stockpiles of cash though which is important to also remember, they are sitting on a dragon's worth of, of cash, like hoarding gold in a cave. It's, it's ridiculous. Okay, so I don't know if this is yet. Accordingly, apparently last summer anyway, Apple reached a $2 trillion market cap. It is over $2 trillion. So $3 billion, they can afford it. But, um, you know, does it make that aspect of their business, uh, you know, fail? You know, yeah, I mean, I get, uh, here's the question. If, if they're levied this fine, 
does that that doesn't mean they're allowed to keep doing it in perpetuity is because they already paid the fine right they can nope. they have to stop right? yeah they have to address the problem on top of the fine because the fine right. would then continue uh every time they continued so that ten, right. from then right. on it and, would continue to be 10 percent of their global global revenue which wouldn't be great and by the way um, the amount of cash that they are currently sitting on that they have in uh, on their balance sheet as direct cash or liquid assets is uh, almost seventeen billion. So that's that's without them having. So if they were fined twenty seven billion, then they're in trouble. Then, then they're going to have to then, then they're going to have to look at selling stock and things like that to take advantage of their market cap. But as of right now. Market cap doesn't mean nothing to them until they start selling their own shares, in which case their market cap starts to go down because once you start selling more than is right. wanted, the price starts to drop. So they'd have to do it quick. Um, but yeah, sixteen point yeah. seven billion in cash on their on their balance sheets, which is still a lot of money. And if two point seven is what they're they're fined, you know, one percent, uh, they could absorb it, but. Even five percent would be hard to absorb at that point, instead of the ten. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, this. So now, just for the benefit of our our audience here, Spotify is allowed doesn't have to pay Apple to be in the store. They only have to pay Apple if people pay their Spotify feed via the store. Right? Correct. So right. if well, they want I mean, to sign up for Spotify I mean, some yes, other way... They do technically have to pay to be in the store. It's $100 a year. It's statistically insignificant. Just in the interest of full disclosure, yes, there is a $100 a year charge. No, it doesn't matter. Um, the time Where it does matter is, is if somebody signs up through the store. And just like Netflix uh, has argued on this same topic, their choices are don't let users... Uh, sign up as new users on an Apple device or do it and lose money or make the user experience really weird and unpleasant because it forces you over to the web browser and, and even then it can't be direct. It's got to be a little cumbersome at Apple's request. And so, so their complaint is that, that, uh, their choices are either ruin the user experience and make it very different than Apple's or take a huge profit loss or put their prices through the roof. Netflix just doesn't let you sign up on the on an Apple device anymore at all. It tells you to go to a computer. Right. I mean, as a so, I mean, there is there is an alternative. Now, granted, people will take often take the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. But I, I think if you're a big enough service, then people will, uh, people will do, um, you know, will will do the the tiny bit of work to go to a computer to sign up, right? Yeah, I mean, especially especially Spotify. if you're somebody like Netflix, right? Net Netflix yeah. has has easy things because they've got a ton of exclusives and things like that. If you want to watch Stranger Things, your only choice is going to be to go to a computer and sign up. But if you're listening to music, right? Your choices are go through hassle on Spotify or literally click a button in Apple Music and you're off and running. Apple's already got an advantage there. And that was their that was their complaint that uh, that actually landed with the European Commission. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's fair, right? People, you know, say what you want, but people will abandon. I mean, there are all kinds of people whose job it is to figure out why some folks will not finish an online purchase mm -hmm. uh, because they had to click an extra time uh, to to buy something, mm -hmm. right? So, so I I get it. Plus, we're talking about Spotify and Netflix, which are companies that are in leadership positions, mm -hmm. but not everybody who's affected by these policies is is a leader in their space that can count on inconveniencing right. customers. Uh, you know, that can that can swallow that kind of disadvantage. Mm -hmm. So a, a startup yeah, it, a startup coming out of nowhere trying to you know, compete on a thing. And then Apple comes out with that thing too, which happens way too frequently. Right. Uh, now all of a sudden they're directly uh, in competition and now they're hitting this, but they don't have the weight of Netflix or Spotify where people are like, well, I'm going to sign, I'm signing up for Spotify. I know I'm going to do it. Um, you know, some small startup doesn't necessarily have that, that luxury. So does it have to be the case that Apple handles the payment? Like if you, or could they just allow, uh, allow the third party to trans to handle the transaction themselves through their app? No. Uh, if, if a purchase is made in app on an Apple device, it is made through the app store period. No, uh, no alternative. That was where Epic games got started. They simply added a second payment option to Fortnite, and that's when they pulled it from the App Store. Right. So that's that's where I could see the where I could see a ruling going mm -hmm. that hey, you have to allow these companies to do their own transactions. Like Apple is for better or worse, if you if you're handling the money then you are entitled to some kind of a cut, right? Absolutely. If uh, that's why credit card processors make money off of credit card processing. 100%. But there's no really good reason why Apple has to exclusively handle the money. Right. And so I think, I think that is kind of where we're headed. Maybe it'll be, you know, maybe Apple's policy would be more like um, the, the ability the forced ability to use an Apple account to sign up for a thing. If you have, if you have the option to sign in with Facebook and or Twitter and or Google, uh, you have to also give the option for uh, signing in with an Apple account. It doesn't require that that be the only path, but it does require that it be an option. Uh, maybe, maybe you know, some sort of a middle ground like that because it's what Epic did, right? Ep when Epic did it, they left the App Store option, and then they added the Epic Store option, and uh, Apple freaked. The the that might be the safe middle ground where they say you have to give your users the option to pay through the store, which would mean you know not having to have another credit card on file, and you know using Apple Pay and all the things that make that process easy, which was part of Apple's goal originally. The thirty percent was a goal too, but. <laughs> obviously the easy user flow was their their whole goal but all of that has gone out the window with this stuff uh where 
Netflix and Spotify just say you can't sign up <laughs> through the app, which doesn't make it better for anybody. So I I think I think they could I think they could win some friends if they if they went that direction and said have it as an op it's a forced option, but it doesn't have to be the only option. I think they'd win some friends that way. Maybe not win over everybody. Because <laughs> Epic still <laughs> wants the Epic Game Store <laughs> to be available on the iPhone. But I think they'd win over a lot of people that way. And it would be it would be good for them. I don't know. It seems like a pretty pretty easy and uh, direct way to get out of trouble with the EU. But we don't know what that's going to look like. Um, uh, a future agreement hasn't uh, been reached. But of course... One will be coming because there's no way, like you said, Abram, there's no way the EU lets this continue to happen. They will force some sort of a, a solution. This week's Pilch Point with Abram Pilch is proudly powered by PureVPN. The best way to protect your privacy online is with PureVPN. You can hide your online activities, say goodbye to regional restrictions, and improve your streaming quality. Plus, it's available for almost all of your devices, and you can get a special price right now by going to pilchpoint.live slash purevpn. All right, so two weeks ago when we were last on, Avram, you teased, and now that I think about it, you teased very, very briefly... A keyboard change. I think you've got more on that yes. now. Yes. So a few, a couple months ago, we had a show about where I showed off the Alienware M17R4, which remains probably the best gaming laptop you can buy because not only can you get it with an RTX 3080 card, which is top of the line for a laptop anyway, but they actually run it at a higher uh, TDP thermal design profile, meaning it uses more wattage because they have more cooling to offset that heat. And so you get really good performance. And by default, this laptop has a really good snappy keyboard, but the uh, Alienware company, Dell, which owns Alienware, uh, recently added a brand new option, the first of its kind on any laptop, a, a mechanical keyboard with a brand new type of switch, the Cherry MX Ultra Low Profile Switch. So there have been some, some laptops, there's been a few that have had mechanical keyboards, but what, um, but very, they've been very few and there's usually a trade-off of it being very thick uh, or not very good. Let me see if I can show you here mechanical keyboard. So um, just for those who aren't familiar uh, with mechanical keyboards and the difference here, you really want a mechanical keyboard and most people, uh, most pe a lot of people get them for their, um, a lot of people get them for their external keyboard for their desktop or attached to their laptop at home. Here I have a keypad. Uh, it's kind of a custom made one just for fun uh, called the Kibo. Um, and you can see that mechanical switches, if I pull off the keycap here, 
mechanical switches, unlike um, a lot of laptop switches and regular what we call rubber dome switches, they actually have a mechanism here with a spring. And this one is a clicky, um, is a clicky mechanism. These are actually called yellow switches. Each switch, uh, so people who care about mechanical keyboards, they care about who makes the switch because the feel of the switch is everything, right? And um, Cherry is the original, one of the most popular, uh, the most popular switch maker for mechanical switches. And up until now, you couldn't, the company really wasn't catering to the laptop market because that wasn't something that, that, that it was doing. Uh, but they have just come out with this new, this new switch type. So let me show you a diagram actually of what it looks like. Um, if we, if we look here, you'll see, um, I'm going to zoom in, uh, you'll see this, this diagram. So this is what a regular Cherry MX, uh, switch looks like. It's about the travel travel being the amount that you press that, that the switch moves when you press it is on a regular switch is about four millimeters, but the actual whole switch is 18.5 millimeters tall. And for certain keyboards, not, not for laptops, they've already come out with a low profile switch, which is about 11.9 millimeters tall. But the new one for laptops, the ultra low MX ultra low profile has 1.8 millimeters of travel, but it's only 3.5 millimeters tall, which means it's not making your laptop uh, significantly thicker. And uh, if you take a look here, this is actually a blow up of what the new switch looks like. And the switch is actually supposed to be inspired by the gullwing doors on a DeLorean. So if you watch Back to the Future, you've seen this switch. <laughs> so oh. How does it, how does it actually feel? So Dell sent me a new Alienware M17. Uh, this is what it looked like. I had to send it back. So I'm showing you a picture rather than flashing the real one. Um, but it looks identical to the one that I had shown on this show uh, a few weeks ago that didn't have the mechanical switches. So you wouldn't tell, be able to tell just from looking at it. However, underneath the cert, however, the feel of it is really quite extraordinary. It has that really great clicky feel. Now, obviously some folks don't like a clicky feel, uh, but it has that audible uh, feedback. So it, it, so it feels more like a Cherry MX Blue. Uh, Cherry MX Blue switches are their clicky switches versus say their brown switches, which are, have a tactile feel but are, but, but are silent or their red switches, which are linear, which means they just go straight down with no tactile bump while you press them. But uh, these switches, the Cherry, the Cherry MX Ultra Low Profile, uh, even though they're much, you know, they, they take up a lot less space than a traditional mechanical switch, they still have that mechanical switch feel and sound. And so I found typing on this absolutely fantastic. I found gaming on it absolutely fantastic. Uh, it really couldn't if you bought the Alienware M17 uh, R4 with this with this optional keyboard, which is an extra $176, so no joke how much you're paying extra to get this over 
the default keyboard. Granted, if you're buying an Alienware M17, you're probably spending over $2,000 anyway. So maybe you're, you know, you're in a mood to splurge. The, the switch is really, really uh, fantastic. And you, it would save you from having to go out and buy an external keyboard uh, if you want the best possible keyboard experience. Now, at the moment, Alienware is the only company that has these switches, that is allowed to use these switches. Uh, they have, they have a semi, ex, uh, some window of exclusivity, uh, we think with, uh, with Cherry, uh, but it's, but whatever it is, uh, whatever, it's definitely not, I don't think it's forever. So we will probably be seeing these on other keyboards and other laptops. And frankly, I would love to see them on an ultra portable laptop, uh, not, not one that was made for gaming, but one that was made for productivity. Because honestly, as much as I love ThinkPad keyboards, this, this would actually outdo a ThinkPad keyboard. It's just got such a wonderful feel and click to it. I was able to, you know, to match uh, one of my highest typing speeds ever. And it was just really uh, a pleasure to use. And so even if you're not in the market for an Alienware M17 or an Alienware M15, which also has this as an option, it it's still worth noting because in the near future, other laptops will probably be available with this, with this key switch. Perhaps maybe even they'll bring it to, to external keyboards, although... If you have an external keyboard, you have the room to, to get a to get a full-fledged switch. I mean, unless you're somehow your hands are in, I don't know, some kind of a vice or something. You I'm sure you have the extra, you know, 20 millimeters or whatever for the for a full-size switch in your on your desk, the extra 20 millimeters of height. But uh, nevertheless, it's it's an impressive achievement. And so I wanted to share that here. I, I do want to say I like the idea of uh, trying to type with your hands in a vice. That, that was very visual. <laughs> I mean, it, because there are some folks, I, I mentioned this because one of the comments I got on my article about, so I have an article up about the uh, experience of typing on the Cherry MX Ultra Low Profile Switches. And one of the comments I got was, when is this coming to an external keyboard? And it points out to me something that I've not quite understood in the marketplace, which is that there is a market for low profile keyboards. And therefore there are people who want their keyboard, their desktop keyboard to be, you know, this is too, too tall for them, right? This size switch is too tall for them. These are normal switches. Mm -hmm. They want, they can't bear, you know, this, this amount of height being taken up on their desk. But the question is why? I mean, now I have seen some of those low profile keyboards and they look cool, but at the same time, like when it comes to tie, to your keyboard, there's looks and then there's comfort. And I mean, there's no really practical reason why you, you wouldn't have the space for a taller keyboard. It's, it's not like the air, the air rights on your desk are restricted or something. I understand why some people want a a smaller keyboard with fewer keys because then they can have more space on their desk, but the vertical space above your keyboard is, is never 
it's not normally a concern. So yeah, I mean, even even in the setup here where I have it in a cubby that literally was designed for a, a Radio Shack cash register, uh, I've got plenty of space above the keyboard to have a mechanical keyboard in here. <laughs> this was right. not designed it, it, for what I'm using it for. Yeah, I mean, I I really, I mean, I've, I've really spent a lot of time looking into because I love having the best possible keyboard experience. And I know there's more that I can do with my, you know, with my personal keyboard, like this one that I've shown previously, this Hex Gears Impulse is great, but I would still, you know, love to, to build a custom keyboard. But nevertheless, I, I don't quite understand the move toward having less on your keyboard. There are a lot of folks who now they want what's called a 60% keyboard, which is no arrow keys, like forget, not just no number pad, no arrow keys, no function keys, uh, all that stuff would have to be done with keyboard combinations. Uh, and I don't quite get it. I mean, I, I get that they want to save a little space on their desk, but uh, if your space isn't for buttons, what could it be? What what could it be for? We never have enough buttons in our life, never. But um, but nevertheless, um, there definitely are trends toward having narrower and shorter uh, shorter keyboards. Uh, these these switches work really well because in the laptop world, you really need that space. Otherwise, your laptop will your laptop's Z height will look like this. And I have seen a couple of instances before where on really high-end laptops, they did use a mechanical keyboard. And wow, those things were thick. Like the, um, it was an MSI, I think it was the GT75 Titan or whatever that was like, wow, that thing was super thick. It had wonderful key, key feel. That thing was really thick. So, you know, these keys make it thin enough that you might very well be able to put this on an ultra-portable laptop. Yeah, I I was introduced, obviously you live in this, but I was introduced literally to the idea of these small, short, but still mechanical keyboards um, on, what's today, Sunday? Yesterday. Because um, my brother has one uh, without the keycaps on it that was sitting off to the side <laughs> on his desk. And I'm like, what are we looking at here? He's like, it is just the core and, and i'm thinking wow because i've got a keyboard that is so big it's got almost a whole extra keyboard to the left to your point of you can't have too many buttons yeah i've got i mean oh no keyboard the cord's too short i've i've got 18 additional keys off to the left i got myself almost a whole extra keyboard yeah exactly <laughs> i mean I, I'm trying to, my real beef is that it doesn't work at the same height, but I have this Kibo here, which is like an extra, an extra 12 keys that you can, that you can program for stuff. This is, by the way, something you can get at Pimeroni for, I think about 50 bucks. Um, and my son and I have worked on, uh, I gotta dig it out. My daughter, cause my daughter has been running around with it. Uh, another keypad, right. That you know, you could do for extra keys because, you know, I'm always a big fan of like, give me another button to press, but 
Uh, there definitely are folks who are really into a minimalist approach. Perhaps one of these days, I did for a while when I was reviewing one, test out a, a really you know limited keyboard. And it wasn't, uh, I wasn't too thrilled, especially to be missing the arrow keys. But, um, you know, for, so is that going to be your brother's new keyboard? No, I think he's getting ready to sell it. <laughs> I think he was annoyed by it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I you still need the caps though. You, you still I, need the keycaps. I'm not going to lie. Thinking about it now. I think he may have purchased it because it was on sale and he wanted the keycaps and it was less than buying the oh, caps. Oh, he wanted the keycaps. <laughs> so, oh, so thinking that's... back on it, that might have been the case. <laughs> or but maybe... then the rest of his keyboard's not going to have matching keycaps, right? If he puts it on a regular keyboard. Or maybe he was swapping out uh, um, switches. I don't remember what the reason was. But now that I think about it, I think he bought it on sale to replace a component somewhere and it was less than buying the components. <laughs> I, uh, I'd forgotten I, about I, that until I, just now. I will say this. I really want to try some different key caps. Uh, this is somewhat off topic because if you have a laptop, you're not going to be changing the key caps. You sure. can't. Uh, but uh, that is one thing that mechanical keyboards on a laptop definitely cannot do is allow you to change the keycap. And I guess they don't really want you to because if you made one, if you got a keycap that was too tall, it would bump into the lid mm -hmm. and you'd have problems. But I really want to try on my home uh, keyboard essay style keycaps. Have you, have you ever tried those? No. Uh, SA keycaps and they can be quite expensive. So I'm the, the cheapest I've seen them is like $60 for a set. Uh, normally they're like 80, 90, a hundred dollars. And I'm, I'm worried to spend that on keycaps. If it may, I may not love them, mm -hmm. uh, but they are thicker and taller and they are rounder and they are supposed to look and feel like old school terminal keyboard keycaps. So if you like used a Commodore pet back in the day or some kind of terminal, uh, back in the day, this is the style of keycap that those had, including the big font that they had. I am definitely looking on a website at a yellow set of them. And yeah, honestly, they look so much like like some of my super old keyboards. Very different than than what I've got under here. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I liked I'm I'm nostalgic for that old feel. <laughs> Instead of retro gaming, I want to be retro typing. Yeah, fair enough. And you you know, for a lot of people, that that physical feedback and the 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 feel of the keys are all very very important. So, and and that's where this this keyboard comes in. You said that you've already published uh, an article on this. Yes, yes. So we have an article about it on Tom's Hardware about the new Cherry MX Ultra Low Profile switches. We also have updated the review of the Alienware N17. So you can check that out as well. Excellent. Well, I'm super intrigued by this. I will admit that I was doing um, the configurator on Alienware's website while you were talking to see the price <laughs> of the laptop with yeah, my configuration and that keyboard. <laughs> yeah, probably like three thousand dollars or something uh yeah, pretty close depending on what you what you want right 27 uh, the keyboard's 24. 100 
the keyboard option last I checked, which was I think Thursday or Friday, was $176 premium. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah, 176. 176.40. Just to oh. um, to be extra weird. Because I was <laughs> I was looking at the price and I'm like, how did it get to 27.24.39? Where is the extra 40 cents coming from? Oh, now I know. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. The pricing is bizarre. Um I... whatevs. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Uh so I I'm I'm intrigued. I've been looking for uh, a laptop, and this has been on my list. And uh, with the additional keyboard option, it's uh, gone up my list. So very interesting. As always, Avram, uh, I appreciate the information because this is stuff that I is outside of my day to day. So it's always nice to have you bring it uh, to our attention, and I look forward to what we talk about next time. This week's Extra Life on F5 Live is proudly powered by Loot Crate. Whether you're a gamer, anime fan, or pop culture aficionado, Loot Crate has got a crate for you. They curate a bundle of collectibles, apparel, figures, and more that you can't find anywhere else. Crates get delivered to your door. It's like an awesome birthday present from your friend every month. And to learn more about the crates that are available, you can go to f5live.tv slash lootcrate. Um, interesting, our topics are all going to kind of be related tonight. So we talked about uh, Apple and their App Store policies. Now we're going to talk about some Game Store policies. Uh, we know that the Standard Commission, as we spoke earlier, um, on sales is 30%. Apple, Google, Steam, Microsoft, uh, it's been kind of standard operating procedure for a while. Um, that is until Epic Games, who does like to screw around with convention, came about and um, changed their commission from 30 to 12 when they launched. And uh, that, we said at the time, we said that that would either completely fail or change the needle uh, for the rest of the industry. And this week, Microsoft has announced that the Windows Store will be following suit on uh, all game sales will go from 30% to 12%, leaving Steam as your, uh, your big uh, high-profile store still sitting at 30%. Now, Microsoft is obviously trying to do a couple of things here. First, they're trying to get more attention to the Microsoft Store. It's built into the Windows 10. Um, it's you know part of the distribution, unless you're talking about an EA game, it's part of the distribution for uh, Game Pass Ultimate or Game Pass PC. Um, and so I think they're wanting more stuff in the store, especially games, particularly so that they can... Uh, attract developers, additional developers into uh, Game Pass. Um, that is that is my prediction. But of course, 
they're also just trying to get more attention to the store as a whole, <laughs> which has which has uh, struggled um, to to get a lot some high profile stuff. Although today, kind of everybody's there, uh, other than maybe Snapchat. But um, I I think this has a lot to do with Game Pass and uh, getting attention to that and uh, maybe bringing some people over from Steam. I don't know. What do you think, Abram? Yes, I think there's downward pressure on the commission. And unlike Apple, they don't feel like they can hold the line because they have a strong competitor here, especially in, in Epic in Epic Games. Mm-hmm. So, and, and even in Steam. So, yeah, they have, they have to do something about it. They're doing something about it. I mean, they're this... This kind of shows when there's something that's a company does that is, I don't know, either one company does that is either positive or negative for the consumer or the partner, in this case, the partner, that other companies are going to follow suit because if they don't, they're going to get left behind. Mm-hmm. So for a while there, you couldn't get uh, on mobile, you couldn't get unlimited data anywhere. Right. And then T-Mobile, mm-hmm. uh, started to offer people unlimited data. And then all of a sudden you see Verizon bring back unlimited, unlimited data plans and AT&T uh, unlimited data plans. So it, yep. when you see, you know, one company responds to another, right? So here's, here's Microsoft's response. Okay. Yeah. And, and we may be seeing a response at some point from Apple maybe apple will but apple doesn't really i mean does apple see itself as a player in games i mean only mobile games yeah and, and do they really care and the thing right and, the, we, and we've talked about this especially when it comes to apple and the epic games uh battle there has been the, fa- the you know epic's whole point is that without any competition uh the monopoly runs roughshod that's been that's been their whole argument this whole time, and it's the reason why they want to be able to offer the Epic Games Store on iOS, right? Because and and here I guarantee this is going to end up in court, you know, right? This is going to be part of that 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 lawsuit. They're going to bring this in as evidence. We did this big thing, and it ended up better for all the publishers because there's yep. competition on Windows. There's three big places that you can get games. And, you know, if you add in, you know, EA Origin and, or I think they changed Origin's name. I think they're just calling it EA Play now. Um, but, you know, you've got... Little games. You've got EA uh, with their game store. You've got um, wh- whatever um, the c- French-Canadian... Like good old games? I'm sorry? Uh, for... Oh, well, GOG? It's a serious competitor. GOG, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, even Humble, if you really want to get down to it, right? There's there's, there's right. plenty of competition there, but you've got three major independent players in the space. It's it's definitely Steam, uh, Microsoft, and, and Epic today because they're all easy to put launchers on your computer. Uh, and And two of them are now using this new model all because one of them did and publishers liked it. And so I, I think 
this move from Microsoft ends up being admitted as evidence <laughs> in the Epic Apple thing because it's literally the thing that Epic has been saying without competition, Apple runs roughshod. With competition, uh, publishers will will have choice. And here we're, we're seeing exactly that play out. So it's definitely interesting. Um, hopefully it does start to bring additional publishers over to the, the store, which could mean the addition of new content, uh, new rotating content into, into Game Pass, which I still say is probably the best deal in gaming these days, uh, especially now that EA Play is part of it, because I have lost way too much time to The Sims. <laughs> <laughs> ever ever since they they added that i have lost lots of time to the sims which is fine i had i don't get to game a lot right because we're always writing or recording or doing something and so having some game added into my thing that i enjoy was nice but this this could be good for that too i i think this is a good move all around i'd like to see that 30 drop to 12 microsoft if you're still listening I would like to see that 30 drop to 12 for more than just games, but we'll talk about that next. We'll have that conversation. Maybe, maybe at uh maybe at build, we'll hear something like that. That would be nice. No, I don't know. I, it seems like a good move and uh, I look forward to seeing what comes of it. And if uh, steam ends up feeling the pressure and following suit, This week's news from the tubes and F5 Live is proudly powered by Malwarebytes. Whether you use a, a PC, a Mac, or a mobile device, Malwarebytes Premium is Malwarebytes' strongest protection ever. It fights threats that traditional antivirus software can't stop, and it actively blocks threats like worms, rogues, dialers, Trojan, rootkits, spyware exploits, bots, and other malware. And uh, you can use your computer and mobile devices with confidence and peace of mind. And to learn more and to get a special price, you can go to f5live.tv slash malwarebytes. All right. Obviously, a big topic in tech is streaming. We talk about it a lot. We've got a topic in a minute where we're going to talk about some, some fighting on the space. But we talk about it in media. Over the last year and a half, we've talked about it a lot in gaming. Microsoft, Google, and uh, NVIDIA have proved that the space is ready for game streaming. It was inevitable for other parts of the tech industry to experiment in this space. And uh, now we have an interesting entry uh, into the remote computing, just visual streaming space. And that is a web browser called Mighty. Um, the idea is that we all know Edge has new browser issues. Safari seems to think it works better if it's closed. Chrome is notorious for eating resources. So the idea is take that off of your system and put it onto a more powerful system. For example, one with 16, uh, CPUs, 16 gigs of Ram and, uh, high end NVIDIA GPUs. Uh, and just push the end render to you. The concept's not entirely new. Um, if you have been following 
F5 Live since before that was the name of the show, you might remember a story in which um, our group was at Universal for Halloween Horror Nights, standing in line for a haunted house, watching uh, a Rays baseball game and Family Guy on Hulu <laughs> on a phone back when Flash was the only option before smartphones ah, were, ah, were ah. popular. So uh, Opera Mini was the browser, and they gave you the option to render Flash remotely and just push the video to your device, and that's absolutely what we did. Did it work real well? Anybody who used OnLive can answer that question, but... <laughs> It did work, and we did watch a Rays game on a flip phone standing in line. So, you know, <laughs> it, it wasn't bad. Um, and it was, oh, it was so funny because we were in with the, the employee. We let a couple of people go ahead of us because the employee was watching the game with us. But so the, the idea is not new, even in the browser space. But here's the thing, Avram, that worries me about this mighty browser. We know that things like uh, keystrokes for a browser are important. Otherwise, things like validators don't work, right? So that means that every keystroke is being sent to this remote server, whether it be passwords or credit card numbers. They're going through and being processed on this remote computer that you don't have full control over, and that makes me super uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't understand. I mean, I guess there's a somewhat of a benefit, but I mean, at some point you need a browser on your computer to download content. Like you can't get, yeah, get away absolutely. from that. So I get it that there's some process, there's a lot of things happen in the web. And so there's more processing going on. Plus the fact that there's always a lot of different sources feeding into a web page. It's possible that you would see some speed benefits from having all of that data compiled somewhere else, but there has to be a, some degree of latency in that it has to download the page and then send it to you. Mm -hmm. So like, how is that helpful? Uh, and then the, the other, the other thing is, yeah, I, I find it very troubling that you're, you know, you may be giving security things like you're, you're creating another, another vector of attack. Mm -hmm. Now I'm sure that mighty will say, Oh no, we're totally secure. Everybody says that. Right. right. But, but you can ask home Depot and know, target how well that worked out when they were totally secure too. I mean, I, I, I'm curious to try it, but on the other hand, I don't want to, cause I'm worried about some of these things, but like, uh -huh. for example, I have right here a YubiKey. Right. Mm -hmm. And I use this as a second factor mm -hmm. for authentication for some things. So how is it going to work when this physically has to be in my computer, right. but as a second factor, but they're down, but you know, they're not really, I'm not, it's down like the web page, whatever service I'm using that I use this as a second factor for is actually going to the client wherever their server is not me so is it able to read things that are on my computer and treat the remote computer treat the remote computer like it's my computer here with physical keys um i wonder about that it is definitely local software right 
that is requesting as if it were a browser. So maybe it would have access to that. I don't know. There are a lot of questions. The good news is I've requested access because <laughs> uh, it's it's right. still it's still behind um, behind a test wall. Uh, so I have requested access. I will give it a shot. I will probably install it within uh, a Windows 10 sandbox simply because I don't trust anybody really at this point. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you, Abram, sent me a link to download something, I, I would. But outside of that, there's very few people <laughs> or things I on that list. That. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I would, I'd probably run it in a sandbox um, just to be able to test certain things and then maybe on a special device um i've got you know a surface pro sitting around that doesn't have any uh important information on it anymore uh that i might give it a shot on just to see if it can do things like access those keys but even then you know i've got a couple of ub keys so maybe i'll tie one specifically to some accounts that don't matter for testing or something but it's all very yeah, I mean, weird it's... to me because even if it works, does that mean that they, because they have to pass, it has to pass right. through them, that they are then getting that data? Right. And would it be replicable so, or not? Because I don't know enough about YubiKey. I mean, I, I could probably email one of the reps over there and ask, but I, I don't know if it would be replicable. Is it a one-time, like, is it, you know, a moment in time, like like an authenticator app or how does, I don't know how any of that works. Yeah, I'm pretty, I think I'm, I'm going to end up doing a, I think I'm going to do a deep myself. dive on this and uh, contact YubiKey, UV and see what they have to yeah, say I mean, about it. It's, it's, it's interesting, but I mean, just aside from that, your keystrokes are going up to the internet. They're not just here on your computer. So that's, I think that's of some, of some concern yeah so yeah i mean i don't know if everybody realizes this but when you are viewing a web page like you've downloaded that web page to your device your computer has a copy of that web page and in i mean there are of course websites that do things using ajax so it is sort of collecting your keystrokes in real time but for the most part things that you type online aren't sent through aren't sent through any intermediary right. and they're sent at the point at which you submit whatever like you enter your username and password and you submit it so it's i think it's troubling because let's say it was a password that you had to enter now it has to be broadcast from from your computer to mighty's server presumably and then in that space which i'm sure is supposed to be encrypted uh, that's another, and then after Mighty gets it, it has to pass it along to your bank or your email client, your email service or whatever. And, you know, that's another hop. Uh -huh. So I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't, uh, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Un uncomfortable to say the least. <laughs> it is weird. It makes me uncomfortable, and on top of it, I'm still not sold on why. <laughs> I mean, they claim, I'm looking at their website, and they claim that you'll save like a couple of seconds on a download. If you test it, you should absolutely 
absolutely try a couple of things, a couple of websites and see if there's a, a, a noticeable speed difference. Mm-hmm. And try it on a couple I, of services. I, I've got I've got more than one service here I can test it on too. There's gonna be yeah, I, mean, I think there's a deep dive coming on this because this is fascinatingly weird. To to be honest, I, I don't even have the fastest home internet. I don't I'm always supposed to be getting like 75 gigabit, which is not no nope. so, right. Well, even, 75 gigabit yeah. would be the fastest. You, oh, I'm sorry, 75 megabit. You would have everybody yeah, on the planet beat except maybe Microsoft. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, 75 <laughs> I'm 75 megabit. A 75 megabit connection, right? Is not it's not that great, but it's it's it meets within targets for sure. things like uh, streaming services. And honestly, you know, listen, I I used to use dial-up. I know you you have too. Yeah, like that those were days when and you know when you had dsl or dial up or things like you'd really be watching the time it took to load a web page honestly i don't have a lot of problems now yeah. i mean the things that cause problems are not really due to the bandwidth i feel like mm-hmm. i feel like that the reason a web page loads slowly is usually nothing to do with my bandwidth and everything to do with there's some kind of horribly programmed piece of code on the page like an ad that I don't uh-huh. know if even having a gigabit of speed would solve that, like, um, or no. it's something where there's I, I, there's processing I'll, going on behind the scenes. I'll st- I'll I'll step up to that. Having having thirty two gigs of RAM and uh, a modern Threadripper and a gigabit connection does not stop uh, Ranker from loading <laughs> in thirty minutes. <laughs> right. So. It, the problem is somewhere else. It's not in your connection. So I'm not sure that it's really solving it. I, I can't really think. So, I mean, while I wish that when I went to visit content websites, they didn't have so many, you know, they had didn't have so much stuff on the page. I think everyone would say that. Uh, and that some of that stuff, because it's coming from disparate servers, can be, can, can really slow things down. But it's not because my internet connection is not fast enough. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same can probably be said for services like it drives me a little nuts sometimes when I use Google Analytics, how long it takes to generate a report. Like you might be sitting there for like 20, 30 seconds mm-hmm. waiting for it to generate a report. And it's like, come on, Google, don't you don't you have a faster server than this? But I don't think that's I think that's because processing, yeah, the processing that's happening, not because there's so much so much information that it yeah. can't download it fast. It's the compilation, not the transfer. So therefore, I don't know how even having, you know, if, if it's how this would help you. Yeah. I I am I am 100% convinced I'm doing a, a deep dive on this. Um I'll make it available to you too, Avram, if you want it because yeah. this is this is super fascinating. Um both in a why and a how will real things connect. So uh, I will have something on that at some point in the future. Obviously, this will take some time to uh, to test out, but uh, we will be coming back to this. We may even want to do a special on it <laughs> because it's going to be it's it's weird. I can all but guarantee.
This week's DRM not included in F5 Live is proudly powered by Amazon Prime. You know you get free shipping, but you may not know. You also get free music, Amazon Prime Music, uh, free TV, movies, and documentaries, and Amazon Prime Video, uh, free games, and a free Switch subscription to support the content creator of your choosing uh, with Amazon Prime Gaming, and of course, a whole lot more. And we have got... Uh, shortcuts to all those features, a couple of additional features, um, a free 30-day trial if you're not already subscribed and the ability to send it as a gift, all by going to f5live.tv slash prime. I mentioned that we would be talking about some other content stuff and streaming all together because again, this is a weird tie-in show. Uh, the when, when Roku got started... Many years ago, um, the, one of the big selling points was the fact that it was content agnostic, with reason. There was no adult content, there was no pirated content. But so long as you stayed within those very wide margins, uh, you could have a channel on Roku. In fact, um, I once, uh, over a weekend, developed and published a channel on Roku just because I wanted to. Um, it no longer exists, so it doesn't matter. But it, I did, just because sometimes that's fun. But uh, things have changed in the last couple of years, and Roku has gotten more into a Apple mentality, maybe, or uh, where they want uh, contracts with a lot of the, the higher-profile channels, and they want them to follow different rules and... Sometimes those channels want Roku to follow different rules because, you know, once you start negotiations, that means you have to negotiate. Um, and so uh, we saw HBO Max take forever to come to Roku. In fact, it took so long that it was a news story when it finally happened. Uh, this week, the platform that they have been fighting with has been uh, YouTube TV. Now, not YouTube but YouTube TV, their cable replacement subscription. Roku and Google both have slightly different versions of the story, but the story goes something like this. Google has asked for certain rule violations for YouTube TV. Sometimes Roku has agreed. Sometimes they have not had the technological power to stop them <laughs> uh, and are changing that and uh, sometimes they don't care. For example, uh, YouTube TV has its own search results row on the home screen. If you have YouTube TV installed and you search for a TV or movie, there is you know all your different platform agnostic rows and then at the bottom, there's YouTube TV. Which is weird, because even Roku's own Roku channel doesn't have that. Um, there's also, when you do voice search uh, within YouTube TV, it only searches within YouTube TV. And Roku 10 was supposed to change that so that when you did a voice search, it would show, if you're in an app, the app first and then other results as well. And it doesn't quite do that. So... Google has said that they haven't really asked for anything special. They haven't asked for user data. They're not violating any content rules, and they don't understand why Roku is upset. And Roku says, obviously, you do shut up. 
And so in, in a similar move to what we see on cable television all the time, right? It's like the, the contract with Fox is up. So your cable provider says, well, Fox is going to pull it off, pull uh, their networks off your cable. And Fox says, the cable is going to remove our stations if you don't call them. Uh, Roku and Google have done the exact same thing with Roku users getting emails from both Roku and Google saying the other one was going to pull the app. Now, in fairness, on Friday, the app did disappear. <laughs> um, if you don't have it on your Roku device, YouTube TV is no longer attainable. But if you have it, you're not losing it for now. Uh, it Wasn't this the whole point in cord cutting that we weren't going to be fighting these cable-style battles, Abram, that... <laughs> We were supposed to be getting yeah. rid of the hassle, not just finding more ways yeah. to I implement it. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the hope. This is why I don't this is why I don't really believe cord cutting is is everything people thought it was. Yeah. It was for right? a couple of years, it's, but in fact, it's just really service multiplying. Because mm -hmm. I still have cable because the lifestyle that you know my family and I leave we end up watching a fair amount of TV and putting on TV for the kids and they sure. watch Nickelodeon or whatever and uh, usually I think with stream with cord cutters it's like you're they're very deliberate about hey I'm gonna sit down now and watch this show and yeah. like, oh kids are playing in the living room turn on turn on the TV turn on Nick Jr or whatever so uh I I, I have cable. And yet, I still have to subscribe to a slew of a slew of services to get different things mm -hmm. because of all the different different content that that I would want to see. And exclusivities. Oh, so there's Netflix, right? There's Netflix for this thing, and then there's HBO Max for that thing, and Paramount Plus for that thing, and Amazon Prime for this thing, and you know, and Disney Plus for that thing. Mm -hmm. Actually, right now, I think the only major one I don't have is is Hulu. Hmm. So that's interesting. Uh, for me, uh, reverse those last two. I do. I don't have Disney Plus, but I do have Hulu. Yeah. To, so together, no. I... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Disney, so, you didn't hear that. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean. So. Yeah, it's like you 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 can't win, right? I think the only I guess the solution with cord cutting is if there's something that you really don't want, then you don't have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. But you're still going to end up paying almost the same amount if you want different kinds of content. Yeah. And uh, but what's a shame here is for people who bought the Roku platform, they don't care like. They don't care who's right and wrong. They want to be able to use all of the apps, all the services. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, this kind of thing hurts Roku perhaps more than it hurts uh, the provider because Roku is selling people, uh, you know, $30, $50, $70 box. Mm -hmm. And there are alternatives to that box. Including I from... Like our friends at Google in this case. Right. Right. 
there are there are many alternatives to that box yeah so i mean i like roku i use roku in my house i like it much better than some of the things i've seen that are built into smart tvs and built into you know using your console mm -hmm. like your playstation or whatever as a media streamer uh, i i like the roku interface i think they got to do what they got to do to to stay in business because obviously uh, selling people uh, cheap boxes probably doesn't keep them in business forever because sure. you know how often do you buy those you probably right. buy it and hold on to it for a very long time licensing so, licensing the operating system to 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 TCL and and a couple of others though uh, probably does help some but not yes a lot but not but it's not on the lead it's not on you know Samsung on, I mean, right. I, I don't know how much, what the market cap of TCL is. Although number two, I have to States. say, oh, okay. Uh, and honestly, I, yay! The, a, a CES press conference did something for a conversation. Hooray! <laughs> and 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 honestly, I may very well get a TCL TV soon because uh, we are talking about getting a new a new TV for the living room, and the fact that Roku is built in to the TV is, is actually a plus, a big plus for me, because that's going to save me an HDMI, an HDMI connector that I could use for another device. Yep. So, um, cause I like Roku. So I get all this, but they're going to have to work it out Yeah. because it's, it's really easy for people to get an Amazon fire stick or something else or the chromecast if, google tv or yeah it's real easy to plug something else yeah. in yeah or or god forbid uh you start casting from your mobile device and bypass all of it right that no, none of yeah. that ends up being good for roku the thing with roku is that it's easy the point is that everything's there and it's easy to do oh as soon as one of those things starts to fall apart then I'm, I'm willing to take on the challenge of it not being quite as easy if it means I can do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the good thing is that, Ro I mean, if Roku had not come through with the HBO Max, I probably would have, because we really, we had HBO Max and we really wanted to see Wonder Woman. If they had not come through by that time, there was a very decent chance that we would have gotten a fire stick for 25 bucks and yep. plug that in. And that might've been, you know, the change for us. Yep. The, the beginning of a transition. I'll tell, I can say personally, uh, in, in my day-to-day -day life, uh, I've got two Roku devices and a web OS device. Well, I mean, I've got a lot of web OS devices, but one that I use on a regular basis. Um, and I, I like both of them. Obviously I've got consoles and stuff and lots of other ways to do things, but, uh, if if Roku was going to be a problem and start pulling pulling platforms on me, I would have no problem switching over to to something else. I'm not married to it. I sold it at Radio Shack, so I do have a you know a bit of a nostalgic connection back to our our keyboard nostalgia. I do have a nostalgic connection to Roku, but if they're gonna you know if they start going over to the dark side, I don't have a problem transitioning away. And that's important right, that's for Roku they're... to hear. It's important for yeah, you to hear, Roku. Little... We're ready to transition yeah. away if you transition to the dark side. Don't be Apple. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a little bit better and a little bit more convenient than the competition. Yeah. But if you pull platforms that people want, then it stops being convenient and that's the end. Yeah. And maybe, and maybe LG sees an opportunity to start licensing WebOS to other TV manufacturers and TCL does something different, you know, not last thing you want is to encourage uh, LG to start putting a, a competitor against you. So anyway, it's, it's all very strange. The, the end result, of course, is that YouTube TV will be back because there's no way they fight this. They don't have, like we said, they don't have the market strength to play the Apple game and say, no, Fortnite's not coming back. Sad story. Bye-bye. They, they don't have that kind of strength because nobody's married to it. Yes, it's built into the TV here in the studio that I've reached for. That <laughs> Abrams TV. It, <laughs> yes, it's built into that, but a $25 fire stick can get around it real quick. So anyway, uh, please Roku, listen to us and uh, you're not, you're not spectrum. You can't win this one. That is our show. Thank you to our live viewers. We always appreciate when people join us live. It, uh, makes this a whole lot more fun for those of you who didn't that is okay if you'd like to in the future friday nights nope sunday nights that's my other show is friday nights sunday nights 9 p.m eastern f5live.tv slash join us uh if you can't join us live that's okay there are many many ways that you can watch listen and follow along and all of that is available by going to plunkettslive.com slash subscribe whether you're on an apple device Honestly, whether you're on an Apple device, a Google device, a Roku device, there is a way to watch or listen to us. Um, so definitely check that out. All the links are there. Uh, next week, of course, is Mother's Day. So we will be off and we will be back the week after. We've got some time until Father's Day. So hopefully we will be back to normal for a little while. And with that, on behalf of the staff that's not here, I'm Scott. I'm Avery. And we will see you back next time. Ciao.